0: And wide And tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday.
1: bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back
2: hello i'm matt Jolly. this is the red box podcast bringing you the best of my times radio show monday to thursday 10 till 1 a bumper show which you should download the times radio app and listen back to the whole thing we talked about bingo we talked about beavers we talked about scotland with david mundell we had a really interesting conversation with two of the most powerful directly le- elected mayors in the UK. Andy Burnham, Labour Mayor for Greater Manchester. Andy Street, Conservative Mayor for the West Midlands. And I began by asking Andy Burnham what the current situation with coronavirus was in his area.
3: Well, obviously, we're uh, in a difficult position subject to the new restrictions that the um, uh, government announced with our support. Because if you look at Greater Manchester, Matt... Uh, We had a change basically, Uh, if you go back uh, a week, 10 days ago, we saw a simultaneous rise um, in nine of our 10 boroughs and it was across a range of communities uh, and it was happening quite quickly. So when the health secretary asked uh, my view on what we should do, uh, there was agreement that something needed to be done to stop this trend in its tracks. And uh, it's been difficult the last few days, no doubt about it. but uh, the, the signs are that the increase is slowing. It's it's having the right effect. But I think it just brings home that, you know, this is the reality we're all going to be living with over the next 12 months or so. We have to live alongside this virus and we have to get used to action like this to protect us all.
2: And how do you feel the relationship's been with government? Have you had much contact with Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson?
3: On and off. Um, so it's it's been... Um, Difficult at times, I'll be honest. In that, I don't think um, we've been consulted as much as we should have been. Now, I don't say that in any partisan spirit. It's just I understand how hard it can be in central government at times, always to, you know, be making phone calls to everybody in all localities. I, I get that, but I, I think we would have benefited from more direct input. Um, often, we're told late in the day about decisions uh, when, I, if they did us earlier on, I think you know, we could have given them some some good insight. So it's been a little frustrating at times, uh, uh, if I'm honest, Matt. Uh, but we're trying to work constructively with them and um, get through this together. Well, let's bring
2: Andy Street in. Uh, obviously, West Midlands not subject to the same level of uh, restrictions as Greater Manchester. What's the situation there? And how have you found interactions with with the Westminster government?
4: So mercifully, we're not at the same situation as Andy has in Greater Manchester at the moment, but we are very conscious that we could be, and we're very conscious that the underlying issues are not very different, actually. Just the numbers here uh, the rate of infection per 100,000 people, about 11.5, when I think that's about half of what it was in Greater Manchester when Andy and his team took the decision that they did. But that too has risen since the lockdown began to be released, and particularly in the last four weeks. Uh, But it's not in any way deemed yet that we should face the type of lockdown restrictions that have come in elsewhere in the country. So the main message here is that the virus is still out there, very prevalent, and we have to really follow all the guidance to make sure that our numbers stay at the sort of level that they're at at the moment.
2: And what's your interaction with Boris Johnson been like? Do you feel like you've, you've had enough contact from, from London?
4: Um... We've had, I call the contact uh, on and off actually, uh, we've had some ministers have been very good in their contact actually, I have to call out uh, Rob Jenrick in MHCLG, Grant Chaps actually would be a further minister I think has made a lot of effort to contact us and actually really try to work constructively together. Some areas have been less good and our discussions with the, with directly with the Prime Minister have only been occasional but I frankly don't expect that to be particularly uh, regular, uh, so it's been it's been
3: mixed, is the truthful answer. Do you? Well, think... I, I agree about grand shouts, uh, by the way, Matt. That's a, an important shout. He, he's, been, he's been good like that. On oh, the yeah, the transport secretary, um,
2: in terms of uh, track and trace and contacting, is obviously you know it's a big concern about where there are sort of flare-ups, really getting a grip on those uh, quickly matter a lot. Um, I, I think both of you have talked about your concern about whether or not the system is working properly. In some areas, councils are moving towards essentially doing their own version, even knocking on uh, every door in a street to try and contact people and make sure that they're aware of what's going on. Are, are you in a situation where where you think that, you know, as in your sort of wider area that comes under your um, remit are you looking at starting your own local track and trace start with Andy Burnham Uh,
3: yes we are Uh, and this to be honest illustrates the point I was making before they've designed a system without any local input so in effect you have uh, a national call centre system that can pick up the easy contacts but struggles with anything more difficult and uh, we see in Greater Manchester right now about 52% of the contacts of people who test positive are being successfully traced. Now that is nowhere near good enough with the schools uh, about to reopen. It has to be much higher than that. So we're saying to the government, you know, within 24 or, or at least 48 hours, give us the names of those people that the national system isn't, isn't tracing because we will just put people on the ground. Volunteers will try and get people together to, um, uh, to improve that. Where we do our own contact tracing, map, the, the, the rate is about 98% success, and oh, wow. 100% in some places. So this is because we're used to doing it. There are teams that go knocking on doors. They, they do this and they know how to do it well. And it's, this is very frustrating. And I, and I don't think NHS Test and Trace can stay in this uh, position. It has to get those contact rates up. And just one point to, to add, you might ask, well, why is it so low in some communities compared to others? And there's a really important point here that the government need to take on board. It's because some people in the poorest communities find it very hard to follow a request from Test and Trace to self-isolate because they know they won't be paid if they do, or worse, they might lose their job. And that has to be fixed if we're to stop the spread of this virus in our poorest communities. All employees need to be able to isolate immediately in the knowledge that they will have their pay protected. And I think you need a system that's akin to jury service. Uh, to allow the, the, the right decisions to be made all of the time. And uh, Test and Trace, uh, the, the head of it, has acknowledged this point in recent days. And again, another thing is the government has to fix ahead of a winter without a vaccine. B-
2: because like Jewellery Service, you're doing your duty to the community and uh, you, you know helping out society by staying at home. So what, what do you want to see that the, that the employee gets paid and then what, the, the employer claims the money back from the government?
3: Something like that, uh, Matt. Yeah, so it is like jury service because you're getting a message from the government, aren't you, saying we need you to stay at home for 14 days. Basically, that's what the message is saying. Uh, but some people, as we know, and there'll be hundreds of thousands uh, in this position across uh, Greater Manchester and the West Midlands, are just, just not in a position to do it. You know, Many don't have access to statutory sick pay, which is what they're meant to fall back on. And even if they do have access to it, it's £95 a week and the health secretary has said himself he couldn't live on that. So you you need a system that's like jury service. And uh, I I just uh, plead with the government to fix this before we get much further uh, into the the more difficult months of this year.
2: Andy Street, would you back that scheme as well? And are you looking at setting up a sort of local track and trace?
3: So
4: Just to give you our picture, first of all, uh, our numbers are a little better, but the underlying point is the same. So we're running, if you add what local authorities are doing themselves to the national scheme, we're running just short of 70 percent of the contacts that should be made being followed up and completed successfully. But the local authority numbers are much higher. Just as Andy said, uh, local authorities are running nearly 100 percent. Now, but the, the critical thing to draw out that he's done in a different way from a different group of people, actually, so it should be higher. So it's not actually accurate to make exact think it's exactly the same process, and therefore the straight comparison of the numbers. But what is clear is that we're running under 60% for all of our national contacts in each of those, our authorities, and that is not high enough particularly going into a period where the pressure is going to be on the system much more. So we do need to think, and this has been acknowledged by Dido-Harding, we do need to think what lies behind this and how does it need to change. And the proposal that you've just been discussing with Andy seems to me to be eminently sensible, because frankly, we need to take the risk away from anybody of following the advice that they've been given.
2: One thing that's really struck me, and before we spoke, I was sort of looking through the announcements you've been making and press releases and, uh, you know, tweets and that sort of thing. And when both of you have tweeted, you know, whether it's a public health message or a warning about the numbers, looking at the replies, you immediately see a whole load of slightly nutty conspiracy theories about this is all designed to control us, you don't need to um, follow this, it's all being whipped up by the MSM and the politicians and that sort of stuff. Are you worried about... Misinformation on social media—that's how, and how. What can you do to try and uh, counter that, Andy Street? Oh no, I'm a great believer here. There's been a real role for um, elected officials and particularly mayors
4: for a region to put the truth out there. And you always worry about misinformation, but I think a far, far more important point is the public have a right to know exactly what the situation is. And I've always believed if you tell people the truth in an unvarnished way, the huge majority of them will take the right action themselves to respond to it. And I think that's what you've seen that we have been trying to do. And I have been very, very struck by the essentially positive reaction to the sharing of data in a very matter-of-fact way, actually.
3: You've been doing the same thing, Andy Burner. Yes, and you know I do have, of course, to reflect on my experience a decade ago. I, I've mentioned this a few times. I'll, I'll say it again. I did obviously lead the response to swine flu, uh, which was nothing like this in terms of the severity, but still, you know, the characteristics of of that pandemic are present in in this one. And, and I did that without social media, and I can't uh, help but observe, Matt, how much simpler uh, <laughs> it was um, to lead public messaging in that era. Uh, compared to this one. Now, social media does actually empower a lot of people, doesn't it, with stats and with information. Um, But um, I think the the job of the government in this era is so much harder than it was going back uh, a decade ago.
2: If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this.
0: Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded, with a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday.
2: Um, Look, I want to talk. move on to talking about the economy and the impact of uh, the lockdown and maybe the changing way that we are uh, living and working right now. Uh, There's been a lot of concern about city centres. And, you know, I'm sitting in central London. I can see gleaming empty office blocks where people haven't gone back to work. You've obviously got, because you cover big areas, you've got big city centres full of... Uh, possibly empty, shiny glass of office buildings, but also lots of um, towns around as well. Are you seeing life shifting? Are, are people, it's because they're working from home, are you know returning to their high streets a bit more and city centres uh, remaining empty? And do you think that that might become a, a sort of permanent shift uh, in the way that, that people are living their lives? Andy Burner?
3: Yeah, I think it could um, be a legacy of this, that uh, people change their... Their working habits, and I think the the era of office work Monday to Friday nine to five, a very traditional working week, which I think which we have in Greater Manchester. and I think Andy has something similar in the West Midlands. is probably going to come to an end, and it's no bad thing if people still mix it up a bit. You know, I would say all working from home or all working from the office um, probably isn't great either side. It, a bit more flexibility for people. You know, a couple of days in the office, some days at home. Uh, that then keeps the vibrancy of the city centre, but also obviously gives people more, uh, more flexibility. So I, I think that is what's going to happen. Although it is early days to to call it, Matt, you know, people are still in a position where they're kind of nervous, perhaps about, uh, about going back, uh, back to work. So I, I think it's too early to judge just yet. Um, what I do, th- I want very much to put a sort of return to the city message out there in the autumn, you know, because it, it is important to bring people back to city centres to um, to support the businesses there. But it goes back to the earlier conversation about test and trace. Until we've got absolute confidence in that system, I think it's difficult uh, to um, to persuade a, a kind of mass return to the uh, to the city. Uh, but we need to get people back to the cities, just because you know so much comes from the vibrancy of our cities across across the country. So I, I think there will be changes. I don't think the world will go back to the way it was, uh, but I think it's a little early to sort of proclaim the death of the city centre. Uh, you know, Cities will survive. They always have them.
2: Andy Street, um, what do you think about that? But also, I need to ask you also about John Lewis before you became a politician. You, you ran John Lewis. You had this massive flagship store, right slap bang in the middle of uh, Birmingham, which now isn't going to reopen. Um, what did you make of that decision in particular? And what does this tell us about the, the changing way that towns and cities are being affected by coronavirus?
4: Um, let's come to Jono's at the end of it. But um, uh, just the, the, the general point, first of all, Yeah, we are seeing a change in the way people are, are living. There are some real positives, actually. I hear from lots of our little local high streets that this has been very positive for them. And that's great, actually, that communities are being much more sustainable in that sense. But there is no question that the number of people in our city centres is hugely down. And that matters because our city centres have been the drivers of our economies. So we do need to see that coming Back. But there's a huge link here between people's feeling of safety and then what's actually happening. And I, like Andy B said, I think during the autumn, this will move on, actually. And we're very much expecting this to change a fair level when children hopefully go back to school and parents, therefore, have got their uh, childcare sorted out. In terms of how I think people will use the office, i have had a big um, series of roundtables with the major office users in Birmingham city centre and I think it's premature to declare the death of the office. What most of them seem to be thinking is that yes they'll keep their space, they'll use it differently, there are some things that need people to come together for them, so we're going to see less frequent use of space in the city centre but still it will be there in the same same way and that's probably good for how people lead their lives. In terms of Jonas, Uh, Well, I've been very clear about the decision about uh, uh, John Lewis in Birmingham City Centre. It's a decision for them. It's a proposal at this stage. Nothing's been confirmed. I hope very much they will decide not to do it. Birmingham has been an incredibly successful city retail wise. Number two in the rankings in England now. And it seems very surprising to me that John Lewis can't make a success of that location. Uh, so if you take the wider point though obviously the challenge to high street retail has been accentuated by what's happened uh, with the coronavirus and it's the all the underlying factors are there so the retailers have got to think how they're going to be distinct how they're going to make a total offer between online and physical presence together and this just makes the question even harder.
2: Um, One of, obviously, one of the ways the government's trying to encourage people to out and about is the eat out to help out scheme. Andy Burnham um, you've tweeted uh, recently that you weren't terribly well, Jeremy Hunt tweeted a picture of how he'd saved 50 quid off quite a big uh, meal with some friends in the sunshine uh, and you, you made the point that you know the highest paid are getting £50, 50 pounds off the restaurant bills while uh, others are, are not even getting statutory sick pay to self-isolate. Do you think this is a good scheme in and of itself?
3: Uh, I, uh, not particularly, Matt. I think there are different ways of supporting the hospitality industry because as you've just said, the money ends up in the pockets often of people who would have gone for a meal anyway, and it doesn't necessarily get to the um, uh, people who most need uh, support. You know, I think if, if Labour had introduced a scheme of this kind, it would have been accused for throwing public money uh, up the wall. I, I think even the was it the head of the um, OBR uh, somebody wasn't there, who wrote to the Chancellor saying that he couldn't sign it off as good value uh, for money. So I, I, I think it's a very difficult look. When you are removing shielding from some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. And that happened, of course, last Saturday, um, day, a day after uh, new restrictions came in in Greater Manchester. So, what, what is somebody who'd been shielding for months at home meant to make of this? You know, that uh, shielding um, was removed the, the day after they were told that it isn't really safe to go out and about because the virus is still out there. And then on Monday, they see. Um, cabinet or well, former cabinet ministers saying, oh, great, I got 50 pounds off my bill. I, 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 honestly, Matt, <clears throat> if everything else was covered off, then maybe you could make a case for it. But when people aren't being supported to self-isolate, when shielding has been removed, when Marcus Rashford had to fight for kids, so, some kids, not all kids, to get, get fed this summer, I think you struggled to, to make, I would anyway, I struggled to make a, a, a case for this, a justification for it. You know, it's um, a lot of money. And it, and it ends up in the pockets of people who would have gone for a meal anyway. Um,
2: just finally, because the whole point of getting you on is because, uh, you know, you're you're two of the um, most powerful directly elected politicians in the country. Uh, and I'm just quite interested in whether, from a lot of what you've been saying, you have more in common with each other than perhaps you do with your political party counterparts in Westminster. Is that your sort of experience, um, Andy Street? Do you, if you've got more in common with Andy Burnham than you have with Boris Johnson? Oh, probably on Brexit, yes. Uh, but
4: that's well <laughs> known. But I think there is, there is a really serious point uh, behind this, which is uh, I think what Andy and I, and I perhaps shouldn't put words into his mouth, both really understand about these roles is the first loyalty is to your place, not to your party. Now, my own view is it's regrettable. But you even have to stand as a party uh, politician actually for these roles because it's a single executive role. You put your team together around you, and you should be elected almost disregard of your party. And I think that's what I've tried to do. And in a place as um, politically balanced as the West Midlands, three Labour, sorry, three Conservative councils, four Labour councils in our team, then you have got to work across the party. And frankly, we would not achieve as much as we have achieved, if I was just the placement of a Conservative government in the region. So I'm very, very clear about that loyalty point.
2: Would you ever consider, because obviously the election is supposed to happen this year, they've been pushed back to next year, would you ever consider, given you've now got a track record to stand on, standing as an independent rather than a Conservative? Uh, Well, this is the regret, because I don't... uh, Of course, that's quite attractive in some ways,
4: uh, but it's not realistic, uh, because uh, uh, particularly on this geography, you have to stand uh with your 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 label. Now but let's be clear. I shouldn't dodge this. I am a conservative. I'm proud of that. I have been for thirty years. I'm not suddenly going to change that. So I'm very, very proud of my uh party. But that
2: doesn't mean you necessarily agree with everything that a particular Conservative government does at a particular time. <laughs> Antony Burnham, you um obviously had been in Westminster, you have been in the cabinet, you've been in the shadow cabinet, you uh, gave all that up to go to Manchester, in part, you know, at a time when you know, you weren't a huge fan, I think it's fair to say, of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. Is there part of you now that wishes you were back in Westminster with with a Keir Starmer? No, <laughs> not
3: a, no part of me, actually, yet, Matt. And uh, I, I, I say that, you know, with, with feeling because, you know, you, you and I knew each other when I w- was down there. I hope it's not, it's I, not, was, it's not, not because of me, bit. is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. You were one of the exceptions. I, I was always a bit of a fish out of water. I don't know if that ever came over, but it never was my natural habitat, really. And I slowly fell out of love with the place uh, over the years. Actually, for the way it makes you put party first at all costs, even when your party's wrong. You know, Westminster, in the end, makes a fraud out of politicians because it makes them vote in ways that their heart would say they wouldn't want to. It makes them toe lines publicly that they, they probably don't agree with. And and that that is just the, the fact of it. That's the way the three-line system, three-line whip system works. And you know, there comes to a point where I've been in politics so long, I knew what I wanted to do. I had strong views about things like social care and homelessness and some of the issues I worked, uh, worked on around Hillsborough and other things. And I just thought, you know, this system doesn't work for me. And actually, to be honest with you, Matt, it it is inherently London-centric. It it doesn't hear the voice of the North. It doesn't want to hear the voice of the North. And it was a natural next step in a journey that, that for me had become quite uh, quite kind of away from the sort of uh, the the Westminster mainstream, if if you like. And um Andy Street hit the nail on the head. In this job, it's place first, party second. And My loyalty to the North, and people kind of ridicule for me, the professional Northern and all that, but that has always been what's driven me, and my kind of anger at the injustice of the North-South divide is the thing that's always motivated me most uh, in politics. So kind of devoting myself to that cause, saying it as I see it, you know, just doing things in my own way. I mean, there is a relationship with party, but I very much see myself, and I'm sure Andy does too, as an independent sort of voice in uh, in this role, and, and I have to say it's great to work with uh, Andy and the other, the other mayors because we do get on well. And I think we're all trying to prove there's a better way of doing politics in this country. And it's called devolving power closer to people uh, and let places kind of unify people rather than always seeing life through the divide of party. Uh, well,
2: it's really good speech. I mean, uh, since we've started on Times Radio, we've been really keen to not be be uh, Westminster centric, Um and you know, really focus on what's going on out out and uh, across the not just England, but Wales, well, Scotland, and Northern Ireland as well. So it's really good speech, and I'm really glad uh, to have you on to hope We can have you on again. There's Andy Burnham, Andy Street, speak to me on Times Radio. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the red box podcast uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the times radio app where you can also now listen to all of the times podcasts including red box 2 make sure you subscribe and review at the red box podcast wherever you listen but for now for me matt chorley it's goodbye
0: open wide and Tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded, with a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday